Welcome to the New Life Podcast. We are a church in Milton Keynes that seeks to love God, love people, and make disciples of all nations. We're so glad you're here. Hi, so first of all, uh, my name is Maggie. I am married to Tim and mum of Maisie, uh, who we absolutely adore and love. She's our miracle girl, and so many of you have prayed for her. Um, And I'm talking to you today about the way of the Spirit, and this is actually my first time preaching in person since the pandemic, so if I'm a little bit rusty, I'm just going to shake it off, but we'll get there. Um, And also, um, normally, I'm I'm more of a preacher-preacher. I normally come here with lots of stories to, you know, dazzle you and make you convinced that what I'm saying is right and that you should go and do it. Um, But for this one, as I was preparing, I actually felt um, that I needed to teach more on this one. So rather than dazzle you with stories, we are going to actually look at the Bible. You all right with that? Yeah? Okay. The reason why I've really strongly felt that, to do that, is because as I look around the room and as I was preparing and imagining you guys in front of me and thinking about, you know, this lovely, amazing group of people, I'm realizing that we are super diverse um, in so many ways. And one of the diverse ways here is that we all come from different church backgrounds, life backgrounds, cultural backgrounds. And particularly, I think the, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God is one of those topics where we are actually extremely diverse in our understanding, our experience, our emotions around this particular topic and understanding. So look to your neighbor and say, you are not like me. (laughs) And, And I recognize that some of you, you see this topic and you go, yay! finally something exciting is going to happen. Others of you have sort of this internal eye roll and go, oh, here we go again. Um, Some of you have had really, really good experiences, maybe in your past church um, or in this church. Some of you had some encounters that you really weren't sure about and you're um, maybe a little bit skeptical now. Some of you um, have had church experiences where actually the, the work of the Spirit is predominantly a stage ministry. You've seen preachers, pastors, prophets sort of exercise the gifts of the Spirit, but nothing else beyond that. We are going to lay some foundations where I'm going to aim to try and show you in the Bible why all of those statements are so foundational to our Christian life. So first of all, I want to look at, let's start, let's start right at the beginning. Let's start right at the beginning of the Bible, the Old Testament. Um, actually, in the very, very first chapter of the Bible, in the second verse, we see the Spirit appear for the first time. And he's referred to here by the name of Ruach. Um, it's a Hebrew word, and it means spirit, breath, or wind. And it says this, And the earth was formless and desolate emptiness, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit, the ruach of God, was hovering over the surface of the waters. The Old Testament reader would have read this and understood that ruach in, in the culture of, of the time was really understood as a life force, as the force that hovered over the earth and started creating life because then in Genesis 2, 7, just jumping ahead, 
we read, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed, and in this passage, it's the same word, it's ruach, the breathed here, it's the ruach, into his nostrils, and the breath, the ruach of life, the man became a living being. So the very first mention in the Bible, the very first concept where the Spirit introduced is all about the life force that is breathed into living beings and that makes us breathe and live. So the first thing that we are to understand about the Spirit of God is that He breathes lives into us and that He sustains our life. Amen? Amen. If you wake up in the morning and you don't know what to thank God for, start there. That He is the breath of life that lives in you, sustains your life, and breathes life into you. So Ruach is the power, the force that breathes life and sustains life. In the New Testament, um, there's a different word used, it's called pneuma, but it's actually got the same meaning, Ruach. It's um, the wind, the breath, and the spirit of God. The second fundamental thing that we need to understand is that the, um, the, the biblical readers, authors, would have understood that we ourselves are spiritual beings. According to the Bible, we are humans. Uh, first and foremost, they're actually immaterial. We are spiritual beings created by a spiritual God. And therefore, our spirit communes with his spirit. There is a communion going on between the two. It says in um, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved completely without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The biblical audience would have seen us as people, not just as material, as humans, but also as spirit beings. And just as, just as an interlude, I think this is actually something that the world around us is crying out for. If you look at what cells, what people are looking into, it is actually understanding the spiritual dimension to us. So many people, although they say they're not religious, they will say that they're spiritual. There's a hunger for understanding how we as spiritual beings function. And I think, to be honest, it's something in our Western world that we've really lost. But moving on, because we've got a lot to get through. So... Let me just give you a few names of the Spirit that are mentioned throughout the Bible, just to give you a flavor of how he's referred to, who he is said to be throughout the Bible. So, a long list, so stick with me. The Spirit, one name, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, the Lord of God, of living God, the Spirit of your Father, of Christ. He's also called the Spirit of life, of grace, of prophecy, of truth, of holiness, of wisdom and revelation, of justice or judgment, of fire or burning, of glory. Right, turn to your neighbor and tell them one of the names that I just mentioned that stood out to you. All right. <clears throat> Jesus also referred to him, when he prepared his disciples for his departure, he referred to the Holy Spirit as the helper or the advocate that will come to be our helper and our advocate.
So one thing I'm going to talk you through now, if we can have the first, is it the first slide? I think so. Um, there is an overarching story in the Bible, and fundamentally, I'm absolutely convinced and believe that the whole Bible is written as one overarching story that leads to Jesus. Um, Old Testament, New Testament, we can see that everything is designed to lead to Jesus. Um, and one of the things that we can also see is that there is an overarching story, what the work of the Spirit looks like um, in terms of how he enables the saving work of Christ. So the Spirit itself actually has quite a unique role in the work of, um, of this, the saving work of the gospel. And we're going to look at that a little bit now. So as we've already seen, the Spirit of God is uh, present at creation. He breathed life in and stayed to sustain life. But then also another quite extraordinary role happens. And this is as we read on, we see that the Spirit of God comes and anoints priests and kings. Um, the word anointing here really means that they were set aside, they were chosen for a specific purpose and then given the gifts to fulfill that purpose by the Holy Spirit. They were essentially ordinary people that were doing what they could out of their own um, power, but the Holy Spirit came and anointed them for an office, that, for a task that he had for them. And in the Old Testament, we see that that's, often, that's kings and priests who were anointed, set apart in order to lead Israel and to save Israel towards uh, the purpose of God, to lead them in a saving work of God. The other one that, um, so for example, an example of that is when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, for example, he was give, uh, in effect given another heart. It says that in 1 Samuel 10. Uh, this does not mean that he was necessarily regenerated at this point of his life, but he was given skills to be king. Um, later, this kingly anointing was taken from Saul and given to David, and Saul from that time on became a totally incapable leader. So you can see in this story, it wasn't necessarily about Saul becoming a different person, it was Saul becoming anointed to be a king, to be a leader. And when that anointing lifts with him, the ability lifted. We see something similar happen, that the prophets and the seers were empowered to bring the message of God to God's people, again, towards the saving work, towards leading them into salvation, towards being the voice of God that helped them see what was happening, what wasn't happening, what was going right, what was going wrong. But, and here comes the crescendo where the overarching uh, story of the Old Testament leads to Jesus. Earthly kings, though anointed of God, were not always faithful or able to establish peace and justice in Israel. They were imperfect. The greatest of the prophets found people stiff-necked and unwilling to hear and complained that none believed their message. They just couldn't get through. Therefore, to accomplish God's purpose of salvation, ultimately there must be one who would uniquely combine the roles of prophet, priest, and king, who would be in, uh, uniquely endowed with the Spirit of God, that is the Messiah, the Anointed One. And if you've been around Christianity for any second, then you know that those words refer to Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. 
He was unique. He was excellent. He was perfect in the roles as kings and priests, and he was anointed by the Spirit in those roles. And we see that throughout the Bible, and we've got, we've got a list here for you. Jesus was filled with the Spirit's power. His life was marked by the Spirit. He was conceived by the Spirit. He was anointed by the Spirit. He was confirmed by the Spirit as the Son of God at his baptism. He was empowered by the Spirit. He was guided by the Spirit. He found joy through the Spirit. And he was brought back to life by the Spirit. He was obedient because of the Spirit in him. We don't have time to dive into every one of those scriptures. You can have my sermon notes if you want. You can have the PowerPoint if you want. It is absolutely incredible to see just how unique, how Jesus relied on the Spirit in his life. And you might ask, why? Why did Jesus have to rely on the Spirit in his life if he himself was the Son of God, if he himself was divine? That is a really justified question. Let me read this to you. Since God had made man by his Spirit, and since man always lived in dependence of God's Spirit, as we've seen in the Old Testament, Therefore, Jesus, he was one with mankind. He came to be a man himself, must also have depended upon the indwelling of the Spirit of God. That is why, in the economy of salvation, he assumed the role of Messiah, the one who was anointed by the Spirit of God. He came to fulfill that overarching story. He came to show us that where kings and priests and prophets, though anointed by the Holy Spirit, were still imperfect and couldn't do the full saving work, he came as man and fulfilled that. He came and became the crescendo of creation. The one that ultimately is the one that has come after and the one that has gone before. He's come after the Old Testament prophets and he's, he's gone before us. If we can have up the next slide again, please. You know, I always envisage the Bible as this, not totally linear, but story that ultimately leaps to Jesus and then into the eternal life. And we are part of that story. We are part of that story of the Spirit. Um, and we see, as we read on in the New Testament, we see that um, as Jesus prepared his disciples for his departure and resurrection and ascension, he said this to them, all this I have spoken while I'm still with you physically, but the advocate or the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. We read in the Old Testament that there is an ancient prophecy that was fulfilled when Jesus came, and that says, when he comes, the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. The Old Testament lived with that promise and they yearned for it. And we stand in it today. Hallelujah. We stand in that today because of what Jesus has done. He has gone before us in that. And there are two extraordinary events that happen um, after Jesus' resurrection, actually. Just before he ascended, he said um, to his disciples, he, or he breathed on the disciples, he breathed on the disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is John 20, 22. 
You see the connection, the breath coming back on the disciples. He breathed on the disciples saying, receive the Holy Spirit. And the other very, very well-known occasion is the coming, the sending of the Spirit um, on the disciples on Pentecost in the upper room as they were worshiping. Um, and after that, the Spirit empowered the disciples to proclaim and go and do the mighty works of God. Um, there are stories of mass salvations when the Spirit came on them. There are stories of people hearing, supernaturally hearing their own language spoken by someone that never had spoken their language before, um, preaching the gospel to them, and they were convinced and became Christians. There are a spirit of um, healings and confessions of Christ. That's how the church was born. The church was born through an empowering of the Spirit. And again, here we see that the Spirit came in order to participate in the saving work of God. It's an, a beautiful parallel. Can you see that? A beautiful parallel between what God started in the Old Testament but was imperfect, and then Jesus came and he perfected. He perfected the saving work of the Spirit in the sense that he partnered with the Spirit, showed us what to do, how to do it, and then left us with that same empowering. The Apostle Paul becomes even more specific, and he defines the gifts of the Spirit that work towards the saving works as this, prophecy, discerning of spirits, teaching, tongues and their interpretation, miracles, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, healings, governments, help. It's a long list. Again, I haven't got time to go into it. Um, they are wonderful gifts of the Spirit that come on us in order for us to participate in the saving work of the kingdom. Amen? Another beautiful thing that the Spirit started doing in that time with the disciples is that actually the Spirit becomes a unifier of the church and of the body of Christ. In the New Testament, Paul introduces this concept that as the church, as believers, as Christians, as those who know and follow Jesus, we become the body of Christ. It doesn't mean a building. It doesn't necessarily mean a, a congregation or a church that will put a name on it. It means the body of Christ, those who believe and follow him. And much like the human body, Paul actually uses this analogy that, that the biblical authors would have known, where like the human body has life breathed into them through the Spirit of God, he also says the body of Christ also needs life breathing into it through the Spirit of God. Without the Spirit of God, the body of Christ is lifeless. So in... Um, for Corinthians, he, he uses this a phrase, he says, we are all baptized into one body and made to drink of one spirit. And he goes on, the gifts of the spirit are for the edification of the church. We are to love one another in one spirit. We are to fellowship in the spirit. And um, Eddie used it earlier, we are to, to, to worship in spirit and in truth as a fellowship. We are to worship God in the spirit and we are to build up together as a habitation of God and the Spirit, the church. I hadn't seen that like that before, to be honest. I think that's quite a major one. We can't be 
a body together unified unless we let the spirit dwell among us and unify us. How many times have you been frustrated with someone next to you or with other people, maybe in your small group? And I get it, that doesn't stop just because we have the Holy Spirit, but it's the Holy Spirit who helps us through that. It's in the Holy Spirit that we grow with one another, that we sort out our differences and that we come back together again, that we find the peace and the understanding, the love for one another. But even more extraordinary is another dimension that we see in the, in the New Testament. And that is that, so the Holy Spirit comes and dwells on us with the gifts of the Spirit for the sake of salvation. He is among us to unify us as the body of Christ. And he is in us for the transformation of us to be more Christ-like. And this is something that we haven't seen that clearly in the Old Testament before. Remember in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came on select people in order to fill out a mission. We hardly ever hear of an indwelling, transforming work of the Spirit. And here in the New Testament, we hear it again and again. It's actually one of the things that Paul majors on, the Apostle Paul majors on in his letters. He talks more about that than about the other things, about how the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us and transform us into Christ-likeness. And this is the list, it's, it's called the fruits of the Spirit. And again, if you've been around for two seconds in Christianity, you would have heard that before, um, that phrase, the fruits of the Spirit. And, and these fruits are meant to live, um, not live, be growing in you as you walk with the Holy Spirit. And these are these, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, if you want to read it. This should be the best news for us. Because not just have we got the gifts to do the saving, the saving work of Christ and the unifying work of the Holy Spirit among us, but we also have the work of the Holy Spirit in us who helps us to be more Christ-like as we go through our life. To not be stuck in the life that we were in before we knew him, but to grow more and more in his character, in his likeness. We are not promised that as we become Christians, we are perfect. That we are not promised that. We are not promised that as we become Christians, we live a perfect life. But we are the promise, the Holy Spirit, who comes to us as a helper and who bit by bit transforms us. So if you are walking with the Holy Spirit actively, day by day, you should start to look, smell, sound, and feel more like Jesus. That is so important, and I think we underemphasize this in our life sometimes. I do, I underemphasize this in my, life, in my life, because we get to points, we get to places in our life, we maybe get to um, situations in our, in our life that we find difficult, that we can't deal with, and the last place that we Jesus sort out that situation, or come on, something needs to happen, bless them. But actually what we see in this is that Jesus, the predominant work of the Holy Spirit here and Jesus' aim for us here is that we become more Christ-like. So every opportunity in life actually should be an opportunity for us to pray the prayer and say, Holy Spirit, transform me. 
grow in me your fruit. Grow in me the fruit of patience in this moment. Grow in me the fruit of love. Grow in me the fruit of your goodness. Grow in me the fruit of your faithfulness. Grow in me the fruit of your gentleness. Grow in me the fruit of your self-control. Just take a moment. If you want to close your eyes, just take a moment right now. Just let that sink in. How often has your response been that your prayers have been, Jesus, help sort out this situation? Whereas instead, our prayers should have been, take this to transform me, that your Holy Spirit's fruit may be evident in me in this, that I may grow into your likeness. And because Jesus modeled to us the way of the Spirit in him, the same applies to us. I just want to read this list again that applied to him because it applies to you as well. You are anointed by the Spirit. You are confirmed by the Spirit as a child of God. You are empowered by the Spirit. You are guided by the Spirit. You can find joy through the Spirit. You are brought back to life by the Spirit. You are obedient because of the Spirit, and you are transformed through the Spirit. Can you see now why I said at the beginning, Christian life is lifeless without the indwelling and the powering of the Spirit. If Jesus hadn't, before he left the earth, looked at his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit and breathed on them, the church would have been powerless and lifeless. So we can't function without that breath of the Spirit on us. We can't function as a unified body without the Spirit. We need the Spirit to unify us and to do a unifying work in us. We are not able to participate in the mission of Christ, which is towards saving the, the lost and the broken, the distant and the um, depressed, because we need to be empowered by the Spirit to do that. You are stuck. You are stuck in your old ways without the transforming power of the Spirit in your life. You know, when the Spirit dwells on us, we are meant to change. We are meant to become more Christ-like. We are meant to grow in the spirit, fruits of the Spirit. We are meant to grow in unity with one another. We are meant to grow the gifts of the Spirit for salvation. And I emphasize we are meant to grow. We are not perfected. We may never see the perfection of Christ in us until eternal life, but we are meant to grow. We are meant to take one step at a time. One overarching theme in the Bible that I hold on to again and again is that in the Bible, everything goes from glory to glory, from one version of it to another version of it. Imagine the iPhone. If the iPhone makers ever went backwards on how they have improved the iPhone or not, there would be absolute outcry. I often think of that when I think of the Bible because that principle applies, is that we are going from glory to glory. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. He wants to take you from glory to glory. He wants to grow in you uh, the likeness of Christ. But this is also that we can become and be empowered to live our lives as part of his story towards saving the lost, towards saving those who need to know him, towards saving um, the distressed world. And so that Jesus, who gave everything up, will have his full reward, so that everyone will know his glory. Amen? We're going to land now, but I have a prayer that um, I've written out, which you're more than welcome to take a screenshot of, if you can have the first slide up, um, which is a, a prayer 
that I would just put to you, maybe this can become your daily prayer for a while. If you want to put the second slide up, just in case people want to take a screenshot of that as well. If you, let me just say this before we we pray this together. I felt for today that there is um, a moment here for us as as a body of Christ together um, to repent. Um, And I think we all have a little bit of repenting to do. And what I felt the repentance was for was actually a narrow view of the Spirit's work in our life. Like I said, like I started out, we all have our different backgrounds. We all come from different places. Maybe you've seen the Spirit work um, mostly in prophets and preachers at the front doing sort of the, you know, the moments of power and, and wowing. Maybe you've been really distant from that because you've never quite understood it. You've always found it a little bit ethereal. Um, and you don't really want anything to do with it. Maybe you're somewhere in between. But I feel like today there is a, there's a moment for us to repent and receive the Holy Spirit into your life so that he can do that transforming work in you, so that he can be a unifier among us and so that he can empower us in whichever way he chooses for the saving work of Christ. So I encourage you to stand if you, if you are able and if you want to, and we're going to just pray this prayer together. If we can have the first slide up again. Spirit of the living God, breathe new life in me, that I might be transformed in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Grow in me your love, your joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me, that the world may know your saving power and grace. Give me courage and wisdom to use your spiritual gifts for the saving and the restoring of a broken world. May you be glorified in me and through me, Jesus. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the message. If you'd like to connect with us or find out more about New Life Church, visit our website at newlifechurchmilkandkeens.org.